Mac Power Users, Episode 374, iPad Sensei Federico Vitici. Welcome back to another episode of the Mac Power Users Podcast. I'm Katie Floyd alongside David Sparks. Hey, David. Hi, Katie. So we are thrilled to welcome back to Mac Power Users an iPad power user, and that is our good friend and Relay FM co-host, Federico Vitici. Welcome back to the show. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me again. No, we're always thrilled to have you. You are the iPad sensei, Federico. You know that, Sense- right? Sensei sounds very fancy. I'm, g- I'm going to say that I like it. <laughs> there you go. You know, it's funny because you are always the qualification uh, whenever somebody talks about using the iPad. Uh, if you listen to any podcast or even read some of the stuff online, they're like, well, I really like to use my iPad. I'm not, however, Federico Vitici. You know, it's always, you're the qualifier. It's, a, it's <laughs> always there <laughs> in you the know. sentence. I mean, I'm, I'm very, I'm very happy that people see me that way. And I think a lot of people actually have an even more romantic idea of all this than it actually is in practice. Uh, I just feel like I've been trying to move to the iPad as much as possible. and um, I've used MacStories, which, you know, the name is not really accurate anymore, but I've been using MacStories sort of as a platform to share this journey, you know, by giving out practical examples instead of just talking about, you know, the future and the politics of Apple. I just want to offer some guidance, I guess. And people seem to have responded well to that. And now whenever, you know, very often I see, you know, people linking to my iPad section on the site, which is, you know, I'm very, I'm very humbled by that. It's, uh, it's pretty awesome. Yeah, well, I, I feel like, you know, we do the same thing. We try not to get too hung up on, you know, the latest rumors, but instead, you know, how can we help people today? And I think there's a lot of merit to that. And it's interesting to me because I, when I wrote that iPad at workbook for Wiley, it was years ago, it was right after the iPad was released. I I was mini Federico for three months. Um, I, I did for three months. I just used the iPad. And those days it was hard. I mean, it was hard. I mean, you had to, you'd have a, had a copper wire to get documents over to your, your, your iPad. I mean, it was tough, uh, but it's come a long way. And we want to talk about that stuff. But before we do, I just wanted to let everybody know who doesn't know Federico. Uh, and in addition to being such a charming guy, he's, he's a very smart guy. Um, uh, he does these legendary iOS reviews. I think we can call them legendary at this point. Uh, Every year when Apple comes out with a new iOS, he does a very in-depth review, kind of John Syracuse for the iOS. Is that what you're going for with that? Uh, I I think he's uh, one in his own now. I wouldn't call him John Syracuse for iOS. I I think he's got his own brand. Those are really big shoes to fill, you know. Uh, I guess it's somewhere in the middle. Uh, I think, John, what what he did, it's been such an example to me. I try to apply his methodology. That's what I, that's what I'm going for. But I think, especially in the iOS era, uh, there are so many differences with the Mac and you know with understanding the iOS, um, you know all of the stuff that goes on behind the scenes. It's so different. So I try to apply the John's approach. Uh, but things are I feel are different today, especially for iOS users. Um, so I try to go in depth, but I try not to cover, you know, the iOS SDK and all of the APIs, the, the really technical stuff. Um, I try to apply the John method, but I also want to have a more of a consumer focus, if it makes sense. And of course, an iPad uh, focus by point of view, which was really hard to do with iOS 10 because he had no iPad features, basically. Uh, but hopefully I'll be able to do that uh, with iOS 11 this year. 
Oh, we are all. I mean, I think that's a recurring theme on our show, how much we all want more power features on iOS, <laughs> especially for the iPad. And and Federico's a pod. So he does Mac Stories, which we've talked about, which is his website, which is a great site, by the way. And um, and he also does several podcasts. You do Connected, where you do have kind of your weekly Apple News show that you do, mm-hmm. along with Stephen and Mike. It's a great show. Um, he has a show called Remaster, because in addition to being a geek, uh, Federico's a gamer, too. And I just want you to know, Federico, that I have intentionally not listened to your Nintendo Switch review <laughs> be, uh, because the last thing I need in my life right now is to say I really want that and to spend, what is it, you spent like 60 hours on the Zelda game uh, or something? I'm up to 90 now. Okay. It's see, been a, an average of four hours a day since it came out. Yeah, see, I do I do not have that time in my life. So I'm just going to go ahead and delete those episodes right now. Just, <laughs> I'm going to do it like live. We're doing it right here, folks, because I cannot have something like that mm-hmm. in my life. I forgive you, David. All right. And then you do the Canvas show, um, mm-hmm. w- which is a great iPad show. I, I feel like it's a great compliment to Mac Power users. And uh recommend anybody that likes their iPad uh, in particular or iOS in general, listen to it, but have your iPad in front of you while you listen to that show. That's my, uh, that's my recommendation. And you have a new one. Yeah. We just launched a new show. It's called app stories. So it's a, we see it as a compliment to, to Mac stories. We've been thinking about, uh, doing a Mac stories podcast for years now, and I never felt quite right. I had this name in mind. So the app stories name, I've been keeping the domain for three to four years now. And I knew I wanted to do a show about apps and about um, the stories behind the apps, sort of a, like an audio commentary track for Mac stories, if you will. And I never quite knew what to do with it until we were talking with John Voorhees. He's, he writes a Mac stories. He's a good friend of mine now. And we were discussing this idea last year um, at WWDC. And finally, by talking to developers and talking to John, real, real, we realized we could do this brief audio show every week, 30 to 40 minutes, uh, sort of trying to be respectful of people, people's time um, and also to try to uncover what goes on with the App Store these days. So the apps that we use, the stories of the developers who make the apps, uh, we want to do the sec- different segments on what's new on the App Store, what it means to be a developer, uh, what can we do with apps these days. And really it's... a um, I see it as a spoken version of Mac stories uh, with a focus on the app economy and the and the culture, really, of uh, modern iOS apps. So we, we just launched it, uh, the new show. It's on appstories.net. Uh, you can also listen to episodes on Mac stories. And I think uh, we have big plans for it. I think it's going to be it's going to be fun. I, you know, I haven't listened to it yet because it's brand new. But in my head, I'm thinking this American life about app people. That's what we sort of my goal is to have this sort of this radio program about apps and the the, the modern the the impact of apps on our lives. That's what I'm going for. Oh, that'll be fun. I think the possibilities are endless for a show like that. You can take it in so many directions, whether it's in depth with apps or talking to developers or kind of what's going on in the app store. Yep. I'm I'm very excited about it. Thank you. All right, so Federico, we started the show talking about you being the iPad guy, um, but let's get let's go a little deeper on that. I mean, I mean, you started Mac Stories. You named it Mac Stories. You didn't name it iOS <laughs> Stories or iPad Stories. Actually, did did the iPad exist when you started Mac Stories? No, no was... the the iPad came out uh, in uh, twenty ten, and I launched Mac Stories in April two thousand and nine. Okay, so but the, the phone was out, but but you you started out thinking it was about Mac, and at some point you became the iOS guy. How did that happen? 
well, the the circumstances were really uh, not ideal. Uh, my, I, I guess my move, especially to the iPad, came at a time where um, I was doing I was doing chemo and I was hospitalized and I couldn't work. Uh, you know, I couldn't use my MacBook in the hospital bed, and out of that necessity, I needed to find a way to manage my my work stuff from anywhere. And at that point, so we're talking 2011 and 2012, uh, there was no iOS 8, there were no extensions, no, uh, none of the modern you know, apps and integrations that we have on iOS. And I really struggled initially to trying to do more on the iPad. For example, I struggled to find a good app to post articles on my WordPress website. Um, but I, I stuck with it, and I, and I really wanted to find ways to work around the limitations of iOS at the time and to try to discover better apps, more powerful apps, and maybe in a way even to advocate for, uh, you know, for trying to re- work with developers to make more powerful iOS apps. And of course, with, you know, in 2013, there was the big iOS 7 redesign, which was kind of rough on the iPad. But the, really, the, the turning point came in 2014 when Apple released iOS 8 with extensions, and it opened up a brand new world of possibilities for iOS users. Uh, and suddenly, iOS became so much more powerful than it used to be. And I moved even more of my uh, work stuff to the iPad. So now I could take my, you know, I think it was the iPad Air, the original one. Uh, I actually was an iPad mini user for a long time and eventually I moved back to the big iPad. And so with extensions, it made everything so much better. Um, Things like 1Password and document providers, there were really big changes for me. And then the year, uh, the following year, two years ago, we're talking 2015 with iOS 9 was the turning point, the, the really... It made a huge impact with uh, iOS 9 on the iPad, with Split View, and with uh, ex- uh, integration with external keyboards. And at that point, I knew that uh, with the iPad Air 2, I could almost fully leave my Mac behind. And I've been working on the iPad as my really my primary computer. I cannot say the only computer, because right now I'm talking to you from a MacBook, uh, but for most of my tasks that I do every day, I work on the iPad eight hours a day. Now, when did you move over to doing Mac Stories full-time? I guess what I'm trying to get at is, were you using the iPad, you know, for your full-time work then? Yeah. Um, Mac Stories has always been my full-time job. When I when I started it, I was out of a job. had some savings uh, because I got fired from my previous job, and I just invested it all on, on the website. And uh, within a few months, I was able to put on some... Um, banner ads on the site so it started growing from there and maybe a year later it was a decent source of income and i just went from there i expanded with the team there's been some uh you know some new entries some people who have left mac stories some new writers but it's been growing from there and eventually i started the podcasts and uh when i moved to the ipad mac stories was uh was my full-time job with a team of five five people and I started doing the uh, using the iPad for writing stories for managing the uh, finances of the site and also to do the research for my podcast on what used to be 5 by 5 and now Relay FM uh so yeah I've been using the iPad for everything full-time all the time yeah now I want to go back though um when you first started using the iPad um yeah, you, know, you said, well, I was, you know, I was, well, I mean, you were going through an illness, so you, you were in the hospital and you wanted something light and easy, but there was a product Apple made at the time, the 11 inch MacBook Air, that was just about 
probably the same size and weight as a, as an iPad. So to me, I think there's more to it than you just saying, well, this is the lighter device, so I'll use that mm-hmm. one. I mean, you made the choice not to use a MacBook Air. I mean, if you could go back into your brain at the time, why would you, how would you explain that? Well, at the time I had a 13-inch MacBook Air, which was super portable, and I actually tried to use it in a, you know, at the hospital and you know in other places. But I always came down to the conclusion that the iPad felt more like an all-in-one computer that could be used anywhere. You know, it had a built-in 3G cellular connection. It had this Retina display starting with the iPad 3, and it just looked as a better computer to take anywhere than the MacBook Air. Uh, the battery could last more. And and I feel like in general maybe I felt like iOS was more fun uh, than than OS ten at the time. And I know that fun isn't necessarily the parameter that you consider when running a business, but to me it was, especially for con- you know for trying new apps. And uh, it was sort of a virtual cycle, if you will. I'm I'm having fun trying apps, and then I get to write about those apps. And those reviews end up on the site and, you know, everything is a self-sustaining machine in a way. So I sort of, I guess I'm lucky uh, because in in all those, uh, despite problems at the time, I'm lucky because I managed to find a way to sort of make my hobby and my passion uh, something that made money for me and for other people. And, And I just grew from there. So the MacBook could have been an idea, uh, but I, I just had more fun on the iPad and I felt like it was, uh, you know, the sort of, let's say, the, the horse that I wanted to bet on going forward. And I think it paid off. You know, I totally understand what you're saying. And I'm glad you said it because I feel like um, people underestimate the role of delight in computing and, and technology. And to me, I feel the same. I feel like the iPad is more delightful to use. Now, is that because I've spent you know, 30 years writing legal briefs on a traditional computer and just in my head, I associate, you know, a keyboard and a screen with a lot of work. Or is that because, you know, like Katie, I watch a lot of Star Trek and I always dreamed of having this piece of glass I can work on. Uh, I don't, I don't, I can't even quantify it, but I do find working on the iPad more delightful. And we hear from a lot of listeners, a lot of people who get it and love the iPad and a lot of people who don't. And they are like, frankly, I don't understand why you would even want one of those things. I'm so much more efficient on my Mac. And I, I think it comes down to that that fun or that delight. If you feel that when you use the device, uh, you're willing to try and figure it out. And and if you don't, you're not. Well, and I think Apple is starting to get that, too, um, because you're starting to see some of their marketing messaging change, especially with the new iPad that that came out in late March. You're starting to see the marketing being more about fun and types of things you can do with the iPad. Shifting a little bit differently on the iPad Pro being more about it being a computer replacement. Um, but they're starting to see that. Yeah. I, when you were saying earlier that, you know, iOS 9 changed up for you. The fact that iOS 9 is where they really added split screen and some real power iPad features. To me, uh, I feel like in hindsight, iOS 9 is the most frustrating iOS release Apple has made to date because it's like they gave me a taste. It's like, okay, <laughs> uh, I, and, and you know, many days a week I take my iPad pro and I go out to meet clients and I go to Starbucks and I get a lot of real work done on it. Uh, but it's just so close. And I realized that, man, it's just a few things. If they could improve this, it would be so much better. And I, I know I, I keep talking about this on the show, so I'm not going to like go on about it, but it's like, 
I, I feel like it was a, a big tease and they, they haven't really given us the payoff yet. Yeah, we've been waiting for um, the other shoe to drop in a way. Um, they've done this split view and sort of laid the foundation for the iPad to be different from the iPhone. You know, you can use two, app, two apps at once, you can work with keyboards and you got this big screen so it's better to work on but there's still so much more to do and we've all been waiting for you know Apple to follow up on the on the vision behind iOS 9 and and I feel like especially the past year you know once we got the iPad Pro we got the pencil and then 2016 we we were all just waiting like a kid waiting for the Christmas present to be delivered and you know the common reaction is now what what's going to happen next Santa and took maybe, the year off is what happened <laughs> yeah that's it. we basically Apple took a year off and hopefully that means they've been working on a lot of things for uh, for the iPad in iOS 11 so uh, you know it's just a few months away at this point and I'm I'm preparing myself to be surprised uh, I don't want to go into WWC with a lot of expectations I just want to be surprised so, so tell me this, which iPad are you driving these days? I mean, what is the iPad that you're using to get your work done? I'm using the big iPad Pro, the 12.9-inch one. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, you're, you're, it is a laptop replacement. It's a PC replacement for you. You want as much as many pixels as you can have on that glass. Now, are you using just one iPad, or are you using multiple iPads and different ones for different uses? So I'm using just one iPad. I bought a second one. Thank goodness. I bought a second one last year, and I briefly considered the idea of, well, I should just do like Mike or CGP Grey, just use multiple iPads. But eventually I just, I, I saw that I was always being pulled back by the big iPad because I feel um, it's better to work with in split view. You get to see a lot more of two apps at once. And especially if you combine that with a, with them with the apple magic keyboard or with any other external keyboard uh so you don't get the software keyboard taken up a portion of the screen you see these two big apps side by side and i'm using the the apple magic keyboard with the i don't remember the official name but it's uh, the latest uh keyboard case and the canvas the the studio neat guys the studio neat guys um it's called the canvas that's a great name i thought it Um, was but i'll double check uh, I'm using the, the that accessory from the Studionic guys, and it's it's just perfect because it means I can grab my iPad, which has a smart cover, and then I can grab my Apple Magic Keyboard, and I just go. So I use that from my desk. I use that from my car. I actually spend a surprisingly uh, uh, huge amount of time working from the back seat of my car. And uh, the only downside to that is that unlike a laptop, it's not a, a like a single piece. It's not like a single device that you put on your lap. So you got to do some some keyboard management when you're working in strange positions. But most of the time when I'm at a desk or at a table or just waiting in my car, it works. And um, yeah, big iPad all the way. I I honestly don't see myself going back to the small one. I should just say it's called the canopy, by the way. The canopy. Uh, You're close. You're close. My my wife drives a lot because the same thing. I feel like I'm, I've got a million oars in the water. I got to keep growing. And, um, so a lot of times she'll drive if we're going on any trip of significance and I'll sit in the passenger seat and work, which makes me the worst husband in the planet. Uh, but that's another story. Um, but I use the Apple keyboard case. What do you call it? I always forget the name. The magic key- keyboard, the one that attaches to the case, you know, the... The smart keyboard. The smart keyboard. Yeah. And you know what? That works in your lap really well. It 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 
props it up, it magnetically holds it in. I can go crazy in my lap with that thing. So there's something to think about. Although they don't have the international keyboards, and I'm sure that's probably an issue for you. No, they, I think they do now. They were launched to no fanfare last year, last summer, sometime in July. So the iPad Pro came out in November 2015. And I think out of the blue in July 2016, so like eight months later, they finally released the international layouts. But I should say I don't use a... I, I don't really use the Italian keyboard just because uh, I'm most of the time I'm communicating or writing in English. So it makes sense for me to get used to, to the U.S. English, the, the, uh, the American keyboard layout. Now, if Apple came out with the rumored 10.5 inch, you know, the iPad, the bigger screen and the smaller case, would you be tempted by that or are you still want the big screen? Maybe, maybe I could be tempted by the new design, uh, especially if a slightly bigger screen means... Apple finds a compromise between the 9.7 and the 12.9. But I also have to wonder, what if Apple, after a few months, does a, an edge-to-edge 12.9? And then you've uh, got like a 14-inch screen. Yes. <laughs> like defy yes. the laws of physics. I'm not sure exactly how that happens. But. And I should just say, for the people listening, we're pre-recording the show about a month in advance because of vacation schedules. So it's possible they already have by the time they heard this. I doubt it, but maybe. Yeah, that's true. We should probably lay off that. It may be old news. But anyway, uh, I want to talk more about iPad in just a minute. This episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you by Jamf Now. You can manage your Apple devices from anywhere and get your first free devices for free at Jamf, that's J-A-M-F dot com slash M-P-U. You can manage your devices from anywhere with Jamf Now. So when you first start a business, it's pretty easy to keep track of your own computer and phone. But as you grow, you start to buy more tech equipment for your employees, and it gets harder to keep track of everyone's Macs, iPhones, and iPads. And then you're trying to figure out how to secure those devices. So like when that iPad that your sales rep just lost, things can get tough, especially if you're all in different locations. Jamf now makes this and a whole lot more much easier. You can configure settings, protect sensitive information, and even lock or wipe a device from absolutely anywhere. Jamf now secures your stuff so that you can focus on your business instead. There's no IT expertise needed. You can find out more and create a free account at jamf.com slash MPU. That's J-A-M-F dot com slash MPU. And because you listen to the show, you'll be able to start securing your business immediately by registering your first three devices for free. And you can add more for just two bucks per month per device. So go create your free account today at jamf, J-A-M-F dot com slash MPU. Thanks so much to Jamf Now for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. So Federico, you you said earlier like you're recording today's show on the Mac, but as I understand it, you do almost no work on the Mac anymore. That's right. I only keep a Mac around, and mostly I don't even use my aging uh, twenty thirteen eleven. Actually, it's a twenty eleven MacBook Air. I use my girlfriend's MacBook Pro. Um, only for recording podcasts with Skype and QuickTime. And I would switch to the iPad if there were a better system uh, to use audio apps on the on iOS. But it's not possible to keep a Skype call and you know, a recording interface at the same time on the iPad. There's some people who, like Fraser, for example, they use an iPad and an iPhone uh, to do podcasts on iOS. I, I really don't like that approach. So for now, um, because I'm recording all of my shows at home anyway... 
I'm using a MacBook for that. But when I'm done with Skype and QuickTime, I close the MacBook and I'm done. And I go back to the iPad. When we had you on the show last time, you were using like a Mac Mini and maybe it was even a co-located Mac Mini um, that you would send scripts off to do things and, you know, have that processing somewhere else. Are you still utilizing that at all? That Mac Mini is no more. Uh, we uh, only have a Mac Mini as the Mac Stories uh, server, but um, I don't use a personal Mac Mini anymore. I don't do any remote scripts, just because most of the automation that I used to do now can be done on iOS. Um, so I gave up the personal Mini a couple of years ago. And I get the impression that um, when this Mac that you're currently using buys the farm, you're going to probably not replace it. No, no, I'm just... Uh, I'm just going to borrow Silvia's, uh, my girlfriend's computer. And um, but just because I, I really struggle to see why, to justify the expense of buying a new Mac um, just for Skype uh, with the prospect of Apple maybe finally doing some new audio APIs on iOS in the future um, and maybe some new app communication stuff. Uh, I really don't want to buy a new MacBook. I'm I'm tempted. You know, I'm looking at the MacBook Pro with the touch bar. I think it's a great idea. And it, of course, it's a beautiful, powerful machine. But is it really worth the you know, the cost for a Skype computer? I, I struggle to justify that. No, it's not. And, and honestly, I think the, I mean, this is a very unique problem. Most of our listeners don't have, but not everybody records podcasts. But uh, I think this problem is going to get solved pretty soon. I, I feel like there's web-based technologies showing up where, I mean, I've been doing some podcasts where I've been guesting where we've been doing web-based recordings that, that came out great. Um, you know, and I think Apple is fully aware that podcasters have this problem. And I would not be surprised if we had some kind of uh, improved situation uh, in June when uh, they announced iOS 11. Okay. So, so you're not doing much on the Mac. Let's talk about the stuff you're doing on the iPad, though, because uh, I like you, not like you. See, I'm, I'm qualifying. I'm not Federico, but I do use the iPad quite a bit. And about a year ago, I decided I'm going to stop complaining when I hit a problem with the iPad instead, figure out a solution. And it's been a lot of fun for me to go through and, and build workflows and other things that I'm doing on iPad to, to solve problems I used to do on the Mac. But that's all you do. So I'm sure you've got some great ideas. And I was wondering if you'd share a few with us. Sure. Um, so I, I have a bunch of, uh, I don't want to say easy workflows, but you know the, the, the workflows that I put together with the workflow app, of course, uh, that take just a few actions to, to execute. And I have those more advanced uh, workflows that span 30 to 40 actions. Uh, one that I've been using lately. Um, I've been collecting um, a lot of my files and documents into DevonThink for iOS. Uh, it's the it's called DevonThink to go. It's the iOS version of the popular Mac database, and you know, sort of like Evernote, but for more advanced users. Yeah, we did a show on it recently, and the, the iOS app has come a long way. Yes, especially you know, if you remember the first version that came out years and years ago, it was really limited, and it used to be a, like a viewer for the Mac version. Now you, you can actually create and manage databases on iOS. And recently, DevonThink on iOS got updated with the with this ability to select multiple files and to share them with other apps. Now the on iOS working with multiple files, multiple documents at the same time is kind of terrible because Apple doesn't really offer developers all the tools they need to perform these uh, batch operations. 
By using the workflow extension, uh, you can see all of these files shared at once in a single move from DevonThink. And so you have this workflow that takes all of these files, whether it's a bunch of images or uh, two PDFs and one image, for example, and it compresses them into a single zip archive. And it, all it takes is one action. You just make a, a workflow. You say, I want to use this workflow as, a, as an extension. So the extension sees the multiple files. Then there's one action that says, make archive. And it creates a zip archive for you. And then I share that, that zip archive, for example, via email, if I need to send multiple files in a row to someone else. Or, for example, I can archive the zip in Dropbox or in iCloud Drive if I want to have a separate backup of those documents. Uh, and that's really handy because instead of doing the you know, the old dance of opening, go back, opening, go back. I can now just select multiple files in DevonThink. There's a share button. You just hit that, select workflow, and you have a zip archive that you can send anywhere. It's it's really, it's it's just maddening that they've never fixed the problem of multiple files on iOS. I mean, that, that that's what I was thinking about when I was talking about why iOS 9 was such a tease, because it does so many things well but then when you get to the basic problem of here are a bunch of files, you need to put them all in Dropbox or you need to open them or process them. It's going to take you 20 times. If it's 20 files, it's going to take you 20 times as long as it should. Um, and I don't know why they've never fixed that. So so now does that mean you're using DevonThink as your file storage location? Because you've got a, you don't necessarily know in advance you're going to want those five files, do you? Exactly. Yeah. Um I've I've been trying to move a lot of my uh, file management to DevonThink because I really like how the app has these advanced uh, search features that allow you to look for content into a PDF, for example. Um, and and you know I've been archiving, for instance, all of our uh, newsletters that we send weekly to the Club Mac Stories members. I archive each single issue as a PDF in DevonThink. And the beautiful thing is uh, there are search advanced search operators that let me look for a specific uh, app name, for example, or a sentence within a certain amount of characters close to each other. So, for example, if I remember that I put together a tweetbot workflow in DevonThink, I can say near, which is the, uh, the search operator, tweetbot workflow, comma, 20. And it'll show me the PDFs of the newsletters where the words tweetbot and workflow are 20 words apart maximum. And that's great because it lets me remember if someone asks me, hey, have you ever made a tweetbot workflow? Instead of having to remember and possibly, you know, not remembering at all, I can just open DevonThink and look into the archive and it shows me all the results where those two words are close to each other. And that's been really convenient for me, especially when, you know, replying to people and building upon uh, existing and old workflows. I, I, we have a lot of listeners that love DevonThink for that reason. I mean, it's, it's, it was the original artificial intelligence on the Mac. And if you use a Mac too, it's even more compelling because it shares that data seamlessly between the devices. It gives you a bunch of control. I mean, there's just a lot to love about it. But I'm curious, um, where does DevonThink for file storage fit in your life versus something like Dropbox or iCloud? I actually prefer... Um because DevonThink syncs with Dropbox, um, I prefer to keep personal documents like PDFs uh, for Mac Stories Weekly uh, 
separate from what I archive in Dropbox. I tend to use Dropbox for two things. The business documents for Mac stories, so taxes, invoices, and stuff like that. And also um, for sharing folders and files with other people. But uh, when it comes to archiving, like personal bookmarks, for example, I can create a web archive in DevonThink. Or a PDF search, I can do it all in DevonThink. Uh, I've actually also been considering, um, uh, for this year's iOS review, so I know I'm going to be working for three months on my review of, of iOS 11. And last year, when I, w- when I was preparing the iOS 10 one, I noticed uh, I put it together in Scrivener for iOS on my iPad. And I noticed I was constantly wasting a lot of time trying to find a specific screenshot, for example, uh, of a feature that I took in some beta of iOS 10. And there was no easy way to reference a specific file in Scrivener. But I was thinking a few weeks ago, maybe if I archive all of my research material in DevonThink, um, DevonThink has a feature that lets you create a unique link for a specific file. It's basically, it's based on a, on a URL scheme. Yeah, it's a callback, yeah. It's a callback to that specific document. So when you paste that in a text editor or in Safari or in Launcher, you can go back to that document. So I was thinking maybe when I'll be putting together my uh, 11 review this year, I can reference every single file, every single PDF, every single screenshot uh, without having to go look for it. So I feel like Dropbox as as a... as a cloud storage service is fine, and that's what I use. And for sharing, it's perfect. But for personal research and archiving, web pages, PDFs, I really do prefer DevonThink. Yeah, that's where I'm struggling is, is figuring out where the lines are drawn. Because I could see just dropping everything in DevonThink. I mean, you make multiple libraries, it's manageable, it could work. Um, but then but then there are times when the sharing features of Dropbox work. And, and it's the same thing. iCloud has certain times. It's good, too. It's, it's good times, though, because I think all these are good features. It's, it's not like you're against one because of it's, got, it's bad. It's because they both, they've just got interesting, different features that you want to take advantage of. It, it is a struggle sometimes when you have these multiple options on iOS. And in a way, that's also the beautiful thing of working from the iPad, that you have so many options. For example, a few days ago, someone told me on Twitter, hey, why, why don't you use uh, Notebooks instead of uh, DevonThink? And Notebooks is this very similar app, sort of a cross between Scrivener and DevonThink and Apple Notes. It's a, sort of like a research tool, note-taking app. It does a bunch of things at once, and it has this... Uh, doesn't have the same search features of DevonThink, but it, it highlights the results in the PDF with a. It actually jumps to that result and it highlights it for you, and it also lets you um, generate callbacks to documents. So I told this person, "Well, that's interesting. I should probably look into that." And that's the maybe in a way a struggle, but also this inf- virtually infinite potential. There's always a better solution just waiting around the corner of the app store uh, that's probably waiting for you, and it makes it all more fun in my mind. But yeah, sometimes I just think, hey, maybe I should use something else, or maybe not. And people, some people see that as being inconsistent. It's like, hey, so what do you recommend that we use? And my my take is just experiment, if you have time, of course, until you settle on a system that you're absolutely certain, this is the app that I want to use, this is the workflow that I want to establish. But until you're not so sure about it, uh, there's no harm in trying. Yeah, I feel like with Mac Stories and Mac Power Users, our goal is to give you 
to, to get the junk out of it and to say, no, there's two or three things that could solve your problem. And here they are. We're not going to give you the names of the d- ones that don't work. We don't want you to waste your time. But, you know, then you figure out what works for you. I, I feel like Notebooks is an app that we could do a whole show on if Katie will let me. Um, <laughs> it, it, it's just it's just so deep. And uh, if you've got an iPad and you've got an Apple Pencil, just download Notebooks and play with it for a little while. It, it is really an impressive application, especially if you like to do handwriting. Um, anyway, uh, that's a whole nother story though. Uh, so, so you've got, it's interesting. You, so you've solved the problem of sending multiple attachments. Uh, the downside is you've got to keep the the data in DevonThink and, and your recipient is going to get a zip file. And sometimes if your recipient isn't that smart or I, I'm sorry, that's the wrong way. If your recipient isn't that technically savvy, they may have a little trouble with the zip file. Well, zip files can be especially hard to deal with on iOS if you don't have the right tools to deal with them. How do you deal with zip files on your iOS, Federica? So I I just uh, I published this uh, article on MacSeries. It's called Working with Zip Files. And it's part of the, the new series that I'm doing uh, on MacSeries. It's called iPad Diaries. And uh, it basically shows you uh, how it's not great working with uh, zip archives on iOS, but there are some ways to work around that. Um, what a lot of people don't know is that uh, you can actually preview, preview the contents of a zip file on iOS using Quick Look. Uh, there's a preview archive, uh, preview content button, uh, and it lets you inspect the individual files inside of an archive. But really, uh, it comes down to two solutions, I think. Uh, either you use a file manager, like uh, Riddle Documents, for example. Uh, you send a PD, uh, zip file to the app, and you tap the zip file, and it uh, uncompresses the, the archive. Or if you want to go the automation route, uh, you uh, put together a workflow that says um, extract the archive and maybe send the file to something else. Um, to most people that email me and say, so how am I supposed to deal with zip files? I tend to recommend documents because it's free to download. It's a basic finder replacement. I mean, of course, there are so many limitations for file management on, on iOS, but it's a basic file manager. It lets you work with folders. It lets you sync with Dropbox, and it can open zip files. Otherwise, you can get the better solution, which requires a workflow, and you can, even without having to create a duplicate, because the thing about on iOS right now is if you receive a zip file in an email message or from someone on iMessage, for example, and if you send it back to documents, and in documents you extract the archive, now you have three copies of the same stuff. The original zip file in the email, the zip file in documents, and the extracted zip archive. Uh, Inside with Workflow, uh, you could save uh, one step, and you can take the zip file from the extension, and without having to copy that, Workflow can expand the archive in place. So it can show you the files without having to generate a duplicate copy. So that's really convenient. And especially if you try to go with the more advanced stuff, you can do things like, well, I want to perform a different action. This is actually one of my workflows. I want to perform different actions for each file. So you can do a, uh, it's called a repeat loop in workflow, where you say you have three documents. 
what do you want to do with them? Well, for the first one, I want to save it in Dropbox. The second one, I want so I also want to save it in Dropbox. But the third one, I want to send it to I don't know MindNote or iThoughts, for example. So you can do these uh, repetitions in workflow that makes it really handy to take a stream of files and sending them to different places. And and one of the more recent updates to workflow made the. Um... I don't know, I guess you call it a recipe uh, for saving to external storage. I'm sorry, for saving to cloud storage like iCloud or Dropbox. It's now one action. So uh, this stuff is getting, if you haven't looked at this stuff lately, go and try it because it, it's getting much easier than it was when they started. You can now easily um, switch between uh, iCloud Drive, Dropbox, and Box, and it's the same action. There are some limitations. When it comes to iCloud Drive, and I know, David, that you're especially a fan of <laughs> the, the iCloud Drive UI on the iPad. As long as it's workflow, um, there are some, some nice changes, yeah. I remember at WWDC, I had uh, loaded an early beta of iOS 10, and you and I were having coffee, and I showed it to you. Yes. And you're like, oh, it's okay, they'll fix it, don't worry. <laughs> Yeah, and Federico, that was 11 months ago. I was really wrong about that. (laughs) This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by Gazelle, giving life to used smartphones and other devices. Now, I know for a fact that there's a bunch of people listening to this show that have a drawer somewhere full of old technology. You've probably got iPhones, iPads, or even Macs just gathering dust. And my question to you is, why exactly are you keeping those things? I don't keep my old gear because I'm never going to use it again. And frankly, it's got value. For years now, I've been using Gazelle to buy and sell electronic devices. They're a reputable company with millions of devices bought and sold. You just log on to their website at gazelle.com. You tap in the name of the device you're selling, the condition, and they give you a price. If you accept it, they send you a box and you mail it back. Then you get money. That's all there is to it. There's no haggling with somebody in a back alley off Craigslist. There's no wondering if you just got sucked into some scam and you're not going to get anything for your device. Gazelle is a rock-solid company. And they don't just buy stuff, they also sell it. A few years ago, when I needed to try an iPhone Plus out for some work I was doing, I bought a used one off Gazelle, and it was great. In fact, that one is still in circulation in my family. You can buy a certified pre-owned iPhone, iPad, or MacBook from Gazelle directly. All Gazelle certified pre-owned smartphones and tablets are fully functional and they pass a 30-point quality inspection. Moreover, if you're not completely satisfied with the condition of your Gazelle certified pre-owned device, you can return it within 30 days, so there's really no risk. Whether you're buying or selling, Gazelle can take care of you. Head over to gazelle.com and turn your drawer of technology into money or get yourself your own Gazelle certified pre-owned device. Make sure to mention Mac Power users at checkout so they know you heard about it here. So, Federico, we've talked quite a bit about some of the um, workflows that you're using on the iPad. Are there any iPhone-specific workflows? I know you love using your iPad, but I would imagine you use your iPhone quite a bit when you're out and about. I do. And uh, on the iPhone, I I think most of my workflows tend to be uh, focused not on necessarily performing stuff and they're more about saving time for short and brief activities. Uh, For example, there's one that I use all the time. So my girlfriend, she's a dancer and she also teaches uh, a class of kids who want to learn how to dance. So she needs to discover a lot of new songs on a weekly basis. And 
uh, I'm a I'm a huge music fan. I I stream music from Apple Music all day long, and I listen to a lot of recent uh, releases. And I was constantly iMessaging my girlfriend and sharing links to songs. And the whole process was manual. I was like, I listen to a song, I open Apple Music, I hit the share button, I copy the link, and then I go back to iMessage and say, hey, you should listen to this song. So I, I was wondering if there maybe there could be a better solution to save time, because this is what I do. Um, so Workflow has support for Apple Music. Um, and it can uh, get the name and the link of the song that you're listening to, and you can do stuff with it. So I came up with this widget, uh, Workflow. So every time I'm listening to a song, and I think maybe my girlfriend would appreciate that, um, I open the widget. So I just wipe over to the to the widget page, and I tap the workflow. And what it does behind the scenes saves me a lot of time. So for one, I don't have to search for the song, and I don't have to open the music app at all. Workflow just takes the song that is currently playing, and it gets the name of the artist, the name of the song, and the link uh, to to Apple Music, and it composes this message. I put in a a, a template for a message. Uh, my girlfriend knows now that is uh, automated. So every time I share this message with her, she knows that it comes from a workflow. Um, but the motivation is is honest. I should say um, it creates this message that says I. You should listen to this song. Of course, the message is in Italian, so no point in in, in explaining what it says. But there's a the the song information and the link. And it takes two seconds. And the beautiful thing is, uh, because of the Apple Music integration in iMessage, when she receives the the link of the song, it uh, iMessage transforms that link into a little mini player inside of iMessage. So she can start listening to the song right away without leaving a conversation. So on her side, it just takes a second to read the name of the song and hit play. And on my end... I don't have to open Apple Music, share, copy and paste and switch between apps. I just need to open the widget and hit send and it's all automated. And it takes me, I would say, two seconds. The other day I was sitting uh, on the couch in my house and I was uh, I was using Dragon Anywhere, which is a great dictation app on iPad to dictate a blog post. And then a couple emails came in that I had to deal with for clients. Then I had to open and edit a, a Microsoft Word settlement document for a, for a case I'm working on and send it back. And I just sat there and just worked like that in the zone for about an hour. And you look up and you feel like you're living in the future, the way all this stuff just ties together when it works. But the, it does take a little bit of work sometimes to make it work right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, workflow is especially a good example of all uh, the integrations that Apple now allows developers to build. It used to be that, you know, we, we used to have this idea of Apple is never going to let developers take advantage of these hooks between services and between apps. But now when you look at all of these APIs and all of these integrations that developers can do, you can you can integrate with Apple Music, you can work with document providers with a share sheet, you can compose a message for, for iMessage and actually send it. Um, it, it, is quite, it is quite impressive, all of these... Um, integrations between Apple products, between Apple services, and, uh, you know, the rest of the system, there's still a long way to go, I think, uh, especially when it comes to third-party apps 
talking to each other. So when Apple is not involved in the process, and if you're dealing with an app like Ulysses, for example, and DevonThink, there's really no great way to let those two apps alone communicate with each other. We're basically still stuck from that point of view. We're still stuck in the in the old days of URL schemes and X callbacks. Uh, Apple should really build a better solution for this. But, you know, as long as you use workflow and, and you, cre- you try to abstract that complexity, I think we're, we're, we're in a place much better than, you know, the days of iOS 6 and iOS 7. Oh, yeah, we, we've come a long way, but I feel like there's still a long way to go. Um, we had Sal Segoyan on the show last month, and, and he did a great article over Mac Stories talking about how extensions are great, but extensions are in a lot of ways a baby step that we need a true scripting solution on iOS where we can pull things together. I don't know, have you had a chance to look at the, the things the Omni Group are doing? It, it, yeah, it's impressive. I don't know JavaScript that well, but the idea of you can create scripts to, and you can have like um, handlers, for example, to perform a specific function as when you do something in the app. I've been looking at the OmniGraphle scripting, and I'm really interested in checking out what the Omni Group wants to do with Omni Outliner because I think that's more for uh, f- suited for my needs. Um, that is quite impressive. I don't know if Apple plans to do that kind of automation, you know, like scripting. For example, a few people mentioned to me, well, Apple maybe someday will let you script apps on iOS using Swift. I don't know if Apple wants to do that. And I mean, you know, they just acquired Workflow. um, So who knows what they're going to do. But I feel like the Omni Group is building a very, very solid uh, solution for power users. And once it, uh, you know, the, the JavaScript they're doing, it hits the Omni Outliner app, I'm going to be all over that. Well, I was going to mention that, of course, so many of your workflows involve the workflow app. And I would be remiss if I didn't ask you, you know, briefly what you thought about the the news of the Apple acquisition. It's probably a little bit older news by, by now, but um, it certainly raises some concerns, but also some hope for the future of automation on, on iOS. I really struggled to come up with a with a definition of what I was feeling in, in the first few days because it, it really was a shock to me. Um, um, you know, I've I've built a side of my business based on using the workflow app and teaching people how to use the workflow app, and um, I've been thinking about it, and and I feel like uh, Apple isn't stupid in the sense of when when it comes to this high-profile acquisitions uh, like Test Flight a few years ago or Beats Music, they know that these products come with a legacy of users who are really committed to the product. And I also feel like Apple really doesn't like what uh, a lot of us have been doing with uh, URL schemes and callbacks because Apple doesn't like that implementation of... uh, links between apps it, it's we've always said it's a workaround until apple provides us with a better solution it's a workaround that has enabled us to do great things so far but it's not the best that apple could do and so i feel like apple buying workflow uh we have a worst possible outcome which is apple just cares about the team of engineers that built workflow and they just want those guys to be working for them on something else and so the workflow app is going to be around for a while. It's going to be on the app store. It's not going to receive any updates, but it'll live on for now. Or maybe Apple does want to build a workflow as a feature, let's say, in iOS. 
and they want to have this new automation framework. But I think it's not gonna be it's not gonna be a scripting language in the traditional sense. It's not gonna be, you know, uh Yeah, we're not gonna get JavaScript out of it. We're not gonna get JavaScript, we're not gonna get Swift. It's not gonna be for programmers in the traditional sense. I think Apple wants to build Workflow 2.0. And um, the optimistic side of me wants to believe that Apple is never going to do the URL scheme stuff. Instead, they're going to be using some of the stuff that they're working on for iOS 11, things I've heard of and things I believe they're working on, um, to build a foundation for workflow in 2018. Uh, And that foundation could include a way to, to do what we just talked about, you know, let apps communicate but without the URL scheme stuff. So a direct way for apps to talk to each other, to communicate visually, and to to be a safe, secure system that takes the pain away uh, away from URL schemes and, you know, the, those workarounds, but an integrated solution to be, you know, a workflow as a feature between apps and to let users, the end goal is to let users not automate in the sense of this crazy automation that Federico does, um, but more of letting you personalize your iPhone and your iPad based on what you need. So if you're, you know, David, you need a workflow to assemble a bunch of PDFs together, you can make your own extension. Or if you're someone who's a designer and you need to pull together a bunch of image files and upload them somewhere else, you can also make an extension for you. So I think Apple believes in the idea of empowering people to personalize their iOS devices. But then again, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe workflow is dying. <laughs> I feel like I'm like you. I was mixed when I heard about it. In fact, I wrote a post explaining why it's good or why it's bad. And I think in hindsight or, or upon reflection, I would, I think they're going to continue to support workflow for the meantime. But ultimately, we're going to have something that's better than a URL callback that is not such a hack. And uh, it's going to be inside the security uh, blanket of iOS. So uh, presumably making Ulysses talk to, uh, um, Devin think might be easier because it's inside the sandbox instead of something outside. And I think it could be better in a lot of ways. I don't think it's ever going to go as deep as you and I want it to. And I just think that's probably inevitable because Apple's controlling it. That could be, but there's also an argument to be made about, you know, Apple events, the technology on the Mac that allows you to script apps and I don't think it's too crazy to imagine, uh, and this is just hypothetical, of course, but it's not too crazy to imagine this system where if you're editing text in an app like Ulysses, for example, and you say, well, now I want to pull some text from a note that I keep in DevonThink, uh, to be able to have this extension that you built for yourself, uh, let's call it a workflow, could be another name, um, that shows you an interface inside of Ulysses of a document from DevonThink. And it's all done visually. It's all done uh, with the, the per, with the permission dialogue. And it's all based on the sandboxing model that Apple has. But to build that, it's a big effort, you know, to let apps communicate and exchange data, exchange documents with each other. It's what we sort of got with document providers when they enable the editing mode. So sort you can of, sort, sort of, of sort of yeah. you need to go through a bunch of tabs and a bunch of menus. But the idea is the same of I'm into this app and I need to pull something from somewhere else. There should be a safe system with an interface or not that 
you know, lets me securely pull that information and doesn't force me to, you know, to launch a URL scheme and a callback to jump between apps. And it's, you know, it's kind of an ugly process. So I don't think it's, um, it's too crazy to imagine Apple building Workflow 2.0 to be that system uh, with the end goal of, you know, Apple cannot make all of the productivity stuff for everyone because all of us, we have different needs. And so I think they see Workflow as a way to, uh, as a shortcut, but I, I mean that in a, in a positive way, as a, uh, as, a, as a tool to let anyone build what they want. But I, I don't believe Apple likes what Workflow currently is in terms of app integrations. And so if they do that, there's going to be a new system, it's going to be a new app, and it's going to be different from what we have today. Yeah, you know, I think that... Um... I think there's an issue with respect to, to workflow on that regard. I mean, it, it needs to change at Apple. But but the reason I'm optimistic about this isn't just because I'm an optimist. I, I think there, there's a couple of things. I mean, you know the developers of Workflow. I've met them too. They're really nice guys. Super passionate about automation on, on the iPad and the iPhone. And these guys, they really want to turn it into something amazing. Um, so, so they're going to spend... I think they wouldn't be at Apple unless they thought they could push the ball forward. I, I know they can't say anything. They just got bought. I'm sure they've signed a million legal documents that, that are keeping them quiet. But I think they're there for on a mission. I think they're there to continue the mission. The other thing that makes me encouraged about this is all the times I see Tim Cook standing around with the CEO of IBM. And and this, you know, this the way the iPad is making its way into the, you know, quote unquote enterprise. Because when you've got a company with thousands of employees, you have IT departments that that want strong automation tools. They want to make it easier for their employees to get their work done because literally time is money. And I think there's I think there's pressure there. It's not and it's not just, you know, geeks like you and me complaining on the Internet. It's people who actually, you know, use these things and, you know, do spreadsheets and all the other stuff. And they want the ability to make this stuff happen faster. So I feel like they've got the message. I, I don't know how they're going to implement it, and I guess that all remains to be seen. But, um, you know, after having, you know, noodled on it a while, I feel like it's going to be okay. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point about, uh, you know, the enterprise aspect. But also, if you go beyond the things we talk about, or the traditional, in a way, productivity stuff with documents or markdown and mind maps... And if you go beyond the enterprise, consider all of these services and apps that Apple does. Music, HomeKit, uh, HealthKit, and accessibility stuff. All of those pieces could, in a way, they could be uh, the foundation for a new workflow. Uh, imagine, for example, routines that you build uh, to control your lights or to control your speakers. Uh, or, for example, if you want a way to create shortcuts for accessibility reasons. Um, all of these technologies that Apple has, uh, I think they see the potential, and even Siri, of course, I think they see the potential for an easy-to-use, intuitive, and yet secure interface-like workflow to let you create these routines and these little extensions for yourself. Because again, Apple cannot make all of the features that we want for everyone. And if you consider the trend of you download an app from the App Store, but now that app actually contains a bunch of different units, a bunch of different pieces, whether it's an extension, a widget, or a keyboard, iMessage, there's so many components bundled into an app. And so I think the idea of uh, imagining app functions and app features 
as little extensions, as little actions, it's not too uh, out of character for Apple. That's what I would say. Yeah, I, I think you're right. And um, I sure hope it comes true. <laughs> and uh, it, but, but it's also just exciting right now. I feel like we're at an exciting time. We're on the cusp of something here. And I don't I don't think Apple's missing the boat. I think they're going to they're going to continue to deliver goods and make the iPad more interesting and usable. I want to take a moment and thank our longtime sponsor, the Omni Group, and talk to you about a product that's coming soon from the Omni Group, currently in preview mode, and that is Omni Outliner 5. You can learn more by heading over to omnigroup.com and check out the preview of Omni Outliner 5. Now, you know that I am a big fan of outlining. My brain just thinks it outlines, and Omni Outliner has always been my go-to application for outlining. It is simply the best in-class outlining tool that is available for Mac. And with the release of Omni Outliner 5 forthcoming, Omni has strive to bring outlining to everybody. There has never been a better time to get into Omni Outliner because they have got two great versions of Omni Outliner 5. There's an essentials version and a pro version. And if you've never bought Omni Outliner before, you can get into Omni Outliner for as low as $9.99. And for those of you upgrading from previous version of Omni Outliner, you can get the new Omni Outliner Essentials Edition for only $4.99. So what do you get with Omni Outliner's Essentials? Well, exactly what you would expect from a company like the Omni Group. You get simple, distraction-free outlining environment. You get 10 beautiful themes where you'll be able to spend your time writing instead of fiddling with font and color choices. They've got a variety of light and dark themes along with a variance of their ever-popular solarized color themes. You get document stats, so you can get a live view of how you're doing, including rows, words, characters, right as you're typing. They're at the bottom of the window, and you can take a look at them, and a whole lot more. So you can read their blog post over at omnigroup.com to learn more about essentials and pricing, and go download it to check out their free preview. But if you need more power, there is a pro version as well. The pro version includes outline filtering. You can now filter rows based on criteria like column values, stats, note content, and more. Password protection so you can encrypt documents that you'd prefer to stay private. Keyboard shortcut set that you can... Go in and tweak to your heart's content. Beautiful array of built-in themes and templates and plenty more. So head on over to theomnigroup.com, check out the new Omni Outliner version 5, and let them know that we sent you. Federico, we talked earlier about delight. Um, tell me a few of the things you're doing with your iPad these days that brings you delight. Well, besides workflow, um, I think a general split view, despite all of the problems, has really been such a welcome change from what the iPad used to be. Um, I, I use Split View all the time. Um, now, in fact, I would say I use Split View more than full screen on my iPad, which, you know, if, if, if you've been following the iPad and its origins, used to be this, you know, this beautiful device with a, uh, that could transform into the app you were using because full screen was such a big deal at the time. So Apple sort of made a, made an ideology out of uh, hardware limitation, which is we don't have enough RAM to show you multiple apps at the same time. But now we can, and I'm I'm using it constantly. But I also want to say the external keyboard stuff, and especially for apps that really take advantage of the of keyboard shortcuts. Uh, Ulysses is an excellent, excellent example, but also MindNode, and even Apple's uh, Safari, uh, to be able to, like on the Mac, to use a shortcut to perform a specific feature or to open a specific view, that's been so convenient. Uh, well, it's even more convenient on iOS because uh, on a Mac, using the mouse is less interference than reaching up and touching the glass, in my opinion. 
Yeah, I, I think so. I agree, actually. Uh, lately, surprisingly also, I've been using the Apple Pencil a lot. And uh, I've been keeping the... I've been keeping the pencil in my drawer, but just because I'm not an artist, I, I, I really cannot draw. I cannot even do a decent stick figure. Uh, but I've been considering this idea of more, I call it more relaxed note-taking, which is instead of uh, taking notes and doing research with my keyboard and with split view, I have enjoyed just sitting down uh, with no split view uh, using apps like uh, Notability and GoodNotes with my pencil and uh, just taking notes, drawing connections between ideas, just writing down stuff. And I feel like it's a, it's like a, of an intentional limitation I'm putting on myself to be slower and to not have the shortcuts and the, you know, and the speed of a keyboard. And I feel like intentionally slowing down makes me think more and not just more, but makes me think better. It makes me look at the page and what I'm writing down. So my handwriting is terrible, but that's really not the point. I just see the screen, I see the page, and I can just think about a story that I'm that I'm working on. And that's been really useful and very surprising to me. And um and I've been using GoodNotes for the past couple of weeks. I actually had my girlfriend. She's also a designer, by the way. She created the the App Stories uh, website, for example. Um, uh, GoodNotes has a feature to create your own custom uh, page templates. So uh, I asked her to make me a custom uh, notebook page with a Mac Stories logo, uh, a little Mac Stories logo on the side. Um, and, you know, I, I I didn't think I would enjoy the pencil this much. But now I'm carrying it with me everywhere. Uh, I bought um, a Belkin uh, Apple Pencil case and stand. So it's like this little plastic case where you can put the pencil in. But when you're using the iPad at your desk with the pencil, there's actually a little hole on the top of the case. So you can actually place the, pen- the pencil vertically in that, in, that, in that case and it stands up. So you can just pick it up, write something and put it down again, which is really convenient. I almost wish that Apple made um, this kind of integrated case and stand solution, but with the battery, so you can actually put the pencil in and it also charges. That would be that would be convenient. Yeah, with my Elevation Labs uh, Surface stand for my iPad, um, it ships with a, a little rubber pencil stand. It's just you know, it's a it's a little rubber thing with a hole in the top. You stick the pencil in, but I keep it on my desk next to my iPad where it sits in this in the elevation stand. And with the angle and the pencil being right there, I use it all the time. I, I go, winding back real quick to the keyboard thing, I would tell people that are listening, um, there's a great feature on iOS that I wish was on the Mac. Uh, but if you hold down the command key with an external keyboard on the iPad, uh, most apps will give you a list of all the keyboard combinations that you have, the shortcuts. It's, it's just a super great way to like start using this stuff. If you're using a third party uh, mail app or even Apple mail and you're like, boy, I wish I could just send this with my keyboard, hold down the command key and it'll tell you how. And I do that all the time. Yeah. And the, and the apps that actually do this well, 
they have multiple pages of shortcuts in the little cheat sheet that appears uh, when you hold down command and you can swipe between those pages of shortcuts. I believe Ulysses maybe is one of these apps uh, and I'm sure the, the, the Omni Group apps have a lot of shortcuts as well and you can swipe between multiple pages of shortcuts which is kind of, it's both uh, daunting but also awesome really. Well like Omni Outliner is a good example. It I feel like um, you know, when I started this experiment saying I'm going to like force myself to use the iPad more, I feel like Omni Outliner in a lot of ways is a superior app on iOS than it is on the Mac. And when you combine that with an external keyboard that gives you basically what you had on the Mac, it clearly wins, in my opinion. Um, so it's just it's it's really great. Now, now going back to the pencil, are you using the pencil for um, interface stuff or are you just drawing with it? No, uh, unlike uh, my my friend and co-host Mike. Uh, I prefer to control the iOS interface with my fingers, as usual, and I just grab the pencil when I want to write something. Um, yeah, I, I never got into the idea of tapping buttons and scrolling TweetBot, for example, with my pencil, no. I do, like, when I do my OmniFocus kind of review in the morning, I use a pencil for that. No, I, I could see that. It, it's just, it's faster. I mean, it, you know, I, my, my wrist barely moves. And I'm able to, it's, it's fine. I can tap, I can scroll, I can move items. So uh, it depends on the task, but I, I do find some use for that. Right? Now, now, do you, when you handwrite your notes, uh, in fact, when you were saying that, I was thinking, this guy's been around Mike Hurley too much because you sound like the, you know, the fancy pen and paper people. You're like, hey, it allows me to think more. I don't really have that background. In fact, I, I really... I don't want to say that I hate pen and paper, but I've been trying to get rid of paper as much as possible. And in fact, your your old book used to be such an inspiration for that, David. Uh, it's uh, not that old. <laughs> well, I mean, it came out a few years ago, I it, think. It, it yeah, sounds yeah. like that was a subtle hint, David. <laughs> yeah, I'm working on it. I'm working on it. I, I think most of the stuff that you wrote is actually evergreen. You know, the approach of going paperless, it never gets old. Uh, but uh, following that, I sort of try to to apply that methodology to a lot of what I do. And I, and I don't really have paper documents around anymore. Uh, and I and I really don't... I mean, I get that there's a lot of people re- really passionate about, you know, pens and notebooks and stuff like that. Um, but it's just, I, I appreciate the pencil uh, as, a, as a way to create something by hand that makes me think more and makes me... Uh, it's just relaxing. I don't know how to, I don't know how to describe it, but I I posted the, this article on Max Stories and and uh, and a lot of people got the the what I was going for with the idea, and they were like, I cannot quite put it into words, but I get what you mean. I do think it allows your brain to work. Sometimes you're so busy typing, your brain doesn't have time to think. Yeah, because when you're typing, the temptation of just switching between apps with the common tab and yeah, most of the time you when you're typing really fast, especially you don't really think about what you're typing. You're just going and just type. And instead, if you force yourself to slow down, uh, uh, at least I, I have noticed that it makes me, you know, create better connections between thoughts. I've been creating this manual mind maps. I use different colors. I draw arrows. You know, I circle stuff. It's it's a fun change of pace from the usual research and note taking. Yeah, visual. I mean, visual is a different section of your brain. Yes. Uh, now, now, does that, um, now are you writing like sentences that you're going to include in reviews or is it just for kind of organized ideas like mind mapping type stuff? It tends to be um, 
sentences. Yes, it tends to be blocks of sentences in really tiny handwriting because then I can zoom in and and actually read. Um, but when I zoom out, I get this bigger view of a of a of a topic outlined on a single page. Uh, but it tends to be sentences. Yes, it's more of a. It's the same approach that I used to follow in high school. Uh, I used to create these conceptual maps uh, by hand with pe- actual pen and paper back then, um, especially when I was studying in, in the uh, Latin and philosophy uh, classes. I, I, I took uh, classic studies when I was in high school. And uh, that was really convenient for me to be able to sort of break down a topic into multiple chunks and sort of remix it and create connections and and i think using the pencil now for max stories it's sort of a follow-up to you know the, the the those things i used to do 10 years ago now with with good notes uh it has the ability i believe to convert the uh the handwriting to text yeah i mean at, at some point do you is that how, you, how do you get it out of good notes and into your website well the great thing is uh good notes lets you also uh, search for text, even if it's handwriting, because uh, GoodNotes can do OCR on handwritten text offline. They have this engine that it's actually quite amazing. And when I need to put together the article, um, I, I usually do this for the iPad Diaries uh, stories, which tend to be the, <laughs> it's for my standards, it's short form, you know, between 2000 characters usually. Um, I put it, uh, good notes next to Ulysses, and I just follow the map. I follow the map, and I write in the text editor. But I should say that when it comes to bigger topics, when it comes to bigger research stuff, that I need to pull in images and screenshots and uh, actually work with a bigger uh, story. I still use the traditional mind maps, and I've, um, I've been testing this new version of MindNode uh, that I think it should be coming out soon. It's got some really good new integrations on iOS. And for example, the workflow article that I published a couple of weeks ago, uh, it was made entirely in MindNote because it's this great, this this uh, big mind map with a lot of topics, a lot of branches. And so when it comes to a self-contained story or a topic that I, I, that I can put together in a, in a short form uh, format, uh, I, I prefer good notes, but if I if I'm working on you know this big app review or a big feature story on the site, I still need the power of a keyboard and an actual mind map. I, I, that makes sense. You know, you know, Federico, you've written a lot and talked a lot about some of these crazy workflows you've put together to run your website, which is super impressive. But you know, something I've always wanted to ask you about is what about the day to day stuff? I mean, you are an iOS only guy. I mean, how do you deal with, you know, when a bill arrives in the mail or, you know, some of the stuff just most everyday people deal with, you know, handling their digital stuff on their Macs. Hmm. I mean, what areas, you know, what works for you in that and where do you have problems? So a lot of uh, the things that I cannot do on iOS, uh, I sort of delegate to web services so when a when a bill comes in, for example, or when I have an invoice from someone, uh, either I took a scan using a scan bot. Yeah, so you just take a picture with your camera on your iOS device. Yeah, on my iPhone, even the iPad sometimes, actually. Um, your camera's good enough now at that yeah, point for that. Yeah. yeah, and either I transform that into a PDF and I save it to Dropbox, or lately I've been trying this service, it's called uh, Shoeboxed, 
and basically they 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 have both machine learning and i think some some uh human editors um they look at a, a, a at an expense and they convert that to a pdf with a ocr and it also generates a spreadsheet for you and that's been really convenient for me especially for bills that come in with a, in us dollars uh for example I can upload it to Shoeboxed, and usually the the AI on the service does an excellent job. It looks at the original currency, it looks at the original date, and they do conversion to euros based on that historical currency conversion rate, which is amazing because I can just send in a bunch of documents in US, a bunch of bills in US dollars, and I have the PDF with OCR and a spreadsheet with the complete amount in dollars, the date, and the converted amount based on the rates for that day. But I should say that a recent change to numbers on iOS, excuse me, <clears throat> a recent change to numbers on iOS. Yeah, the update that just came out. Yeah. It now lets you do that operation, the uh, historical currency conversion, with a new formula. So now you can do, uh, I have this currency, I have this date, convert that amount to that specific exchange rate for a specific day in the past. And I think I'm going to switch a lot of what I do when it comes to accounting to that system based on numbers. Yeah, Shoebox is almost like kind of like a um, a web service for an external bookkeeper, I guess. Well, not quite, but and uh, and you can either you can literally put them in a shoebox and mail them to them as the mail comes in or or you can scan it and just send them and let them do the processing as i understand it yeah yeah that's right i, and, I never and that's probably what you're doing right you're not you're not mailing to them i'm, I'm not mailing things from italy no <laughs> uh, yeah. uh, i tend to up, upload pdfs and i should say then in scambot there's actually a native uh shoebox um integration so once you have a PDF in Scanbot, you can just say, upload this to my Shoebox account and they'll take care of it, which is nice because they have an API and Scanbot uses it. It's very easy to use. Uh, other things that are not Mac stories related, um, I don't know, I guess I'm using a clipboard manager, for example, uh, which is copied on iOS. It's this excellent app to uh, paste little bits of everything into you know a single app that syncs with iCloud. Yeah, and, and as somebody who uses Mac too, I would say uh, copied is is great on Mac as well. It's, yeah, because it's just... it can run in the background, it's in the menu bar, it's more powerful than on iOS. And I, I I've been doing a lot of uh, I've become the person with multiple Google calendars, you know, for schedules with different people and with a team, uh, and I've been keeping them all together in time page which is this new, this, it's not new, but it's, it's a recent entry on the App Store. And it's this beautiful app with a really unique uh, calendar layout. Uh, and it, it shows you all of your events in, in, in multiple views. It kind of looks like, a, it's actually made by Moleskine. Uh, it looks like an agenda. It's a beautiful interface. And uh, I, I also want to mention that I've, I've been on a sort of an on a quest <laughs> to discover my uh, my favorite email clients uh, uh my personal preference still goes to airmail uh it's this power user client on ios and if you deal with a lot of email on a daily basis you know airmail uh, integrates with a lot of apps so you can have all of these i have a gripe i've, I've told you this before I, they they still do not support inline replies i, in I know Air, i know every time they do an update I install it, and they still don't do inline replies. I don't know why they can't fix that. 
And that goes back to why I'm on a quest. Because even if I prefer Elmer, there's still some things they don't do. And then I try other email clients. And also those email clients are not quite there yet. I just wish that developers took more time to make these uh, iOS email apps that are like actual Mac-like in quality. And in terms of... Uh, all of these advanced features. I mean, uh, to my to my knowledge, Airmail is the only app on iOS that lets you create saved searches and smart folders, for example. Um, so many of the of the current iOS email clients they come from the same background, which is we need to ship a, an alternative to Mailbox, which has been discontinued by Dropbox, and so you have all of these. Uh, email clients that are actually similar to each other. They let you snooze messages. They let you include uh, red receipts in to see when someone has replied to you. And I just wish I could find an email client that's even more than what Airmail does. Uh, and, you know, maybe Apple should just make Apple Mail for the Mac and bring it over to iOS because the iOS version of Mail can do a lot compared to, you know, five years ago, but it's still not you know, at the same level of the Mac. I never feel that you give, uh, when I hear you talk about stuff, you're not giving Dispatch much love. I think Dispatch is a great option. Um, I use it in, combon- in combination with Apple Mail. Apple Mail is kind of where I start, but when I have something weird that needs additional power, Dispatch is great for that. It also has Text Expander, which is really nice. Yeah, I should take a look again. Uh, you're right. Yeah, it's. Uh, I think it's still a great option. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by Fujitsu, makers of some of the best document scanners on the market. Head over to budurl.me slash SSMPU to learn more. Katie and I are both really proud to have Fujitsu as an ongoing sponsor of the Mac Power Users. They make an outstanding scanner in the ScanSnap line of products. They work great. They attach to a Mac. They attach to an iPad or an iPhone. And the company really appreciates Mac users, so they have great software. It includes things like optical character recognition and even the ability to scan both sides of the page in one go. Now, the last time I talked about Fujitsu on the show, I covered the desktop scanners, but I thought this time it would be fun to talk about something even better, and that's the SV600. That's a contactless scanner. The way it works is it's essentially a very fancy camera on a pole that sits over your table. If you've got a lot of scanning to do, this thing is awesome. It uses a special lens, it's called a deep depth of field lens, and then it combines that with a linear image sensor and an LED lamp to give you what they call a contactless scanner. You can just lay something underneath it and take a shot of it. So if you've got to scan a bunch of books and you don't want to rip the spine off them to pull that off, this is the scanner for you. Not only can you use this for books or magazines, but also documents with sticky notes attached or something else that normally wouldn't run through a scanner. If you've got smaller documents like business cards, it can use what they call multiple document detection to split those up into individual scans, but shoot them all at once. And it even has this really cool feature called page turning detection. So if you lay a book under this thing, every time you turn the page, the scanner is going to realize it and take the picture without you having to do any further work. Now, the software for this is really smart. For instance, even though the book is going to be slightly curved because it's laying down, the software will flatten out the pages for you. It can even remove uh, the little image of your finger in the margin if that shows up. 
I think the scanner is particularly good for somebody who is like a teacher or working in education or maybe has a bunch of books that they want to scan without removing the spine. It's definitely super powerful and one of the best scanners Fujitsu makes. So why don't you join all the other MacPow users, listeners that are buying these Fujitsu scanners. Head over to budurl.me slash SSMPU to learn more. Federico, I hear you relying more on web services these days. You talked a little bit about shoeboxes, but I, I know that you use more beyond that. Do you find with the move more to iOS that you are having to rely more on web services? And can you talk a little bit about the ones that you're using and how that you're using them? I think so, because um, I feel like web services can help you overcome the limitations of iOS when there's no native solution on the on the iPad. And one that I've been using a lot that I actually pay for with a, with a business uh, account is uh, Zapier which is this automation service on the web. It's kind of like uh, IFTTT, but for more productivity type of tasks. And it's a premium service. So if you want to unlock all of the features, you need to you need to subscribe to one of the uh, premium plans. And I've been using that as a sort of, um, I think of it as a workflow, but that runs in the cloud and in the background all the time. Um, for example, I do things like, uh, we let people uh, send us questions for the newsletters using a bunch of different Google forms. Uh, and I and I created these automations on Zapier where every time a person sends us a question, it, Zapier takes the text from the Google form and he, it reformats it uh, in a way that it's uh, suitable for Trello. So Zapier can take a question and put it and create a new card in our Trello board in a specific Trello list. And it can actually, I, I went a little overboard with this automation. Um, Zapier looks at the, uh, at the question. And if the person says, I want to ask this to Federico, or I want to ask this to John or to Ryan, for instance, Zapier creates a different member in the Trello card. So if the person says, this is a question for Federico about workflow, uh, Zapier knows that he needs to create a Trello card with my profile picture on it and put it in the in the list for questions uh, to me. Um, and that's just one of the these automatic, uh, you know, background automations that live in the cloud. And I've been using Zapier for a lot of Todoist uh, things as well. And Todoist is another great example of a web service. Uh, I've been switching, especially for the past uh, two years between task managers until last year, I realized, you know, now I have a bigger team. It's not just me working on Mac stories anymore. And I have a lot of different responsibilities, you know, whether it's managing the website or the, uh, four podcasts, talking to sponsors. So I, I have tasks coming at me from anywhere. And and I feel like it's, it's much better if I have this task manager that lives in the cloud and it's everywhere rather than having a simple app just on my phone or just on my iPad. And so I can save tasks to to Todoist from my iPhone, my iPad, from Workflow. Zapier can put in things for me. And even I can talk to my Amazon Echo and create tasks when I'm in the kitchen and I just think of something and I can save it for later. And that's, the, the you know, what's so great about web services. Once they offer APIs and once they offer integrations, you can have the same features in multiple places. 
And maybe the best example for this is uh, our uh, Slack team uh, for Mac Stories. like others, we use Slack all the time to communicate and we have different channels and, you know, all of, all of the features that people love Slack for. But lately, I've, uh, I've sort of commissioned this custom Slack bot that we developed in, uh, in-house just for Mac Stories. It's called the Story Bot. And the Story Bot is uh, like, a, like a Slack butler for us. It, uh, the, the bot does things for, for us. For example, it handles... Um, article assignments so from either from workflow or from zapier we can do things like there's a story that i want ryan to cover so please story about create an assignment for me and the story about creates this little card in the slack channel and someone can go in there and be like yeah i'm gonna take care of this there's a button they press it and it goes into their to-doist so we we basically created our mini app or mini web service based on slack based on to-doist it takes together a bunch of APIs and it lets us, uh, the key thing here, it doesn't force us to switch between apps manually. It's an integrated solution. And uh, and I feel it's a perfect example of the power of web services. Um, I could have done... And Zapier is the backbone of that. That's what's making everything happen. Zapier, uh, not for Storybot. Uh, For Storybot, it's uh, all custom, actually. Uh, But we made it so that we can trigger Storybot from multiple places, including Zapier and including Story uh, Workflow. So um, I can talk to Storybot as if it were a Slack bot. So in Slack, I can have a conversation with the bot or the bot as an API uh, itself. So uh, Workflow can talk to it, Zapier can talk to it. And I feel like I, I really do believe uh, in the power of web services, especially for teams and for individuals who work with the uh, with other people on multiple projects. It's really handy to to be able to have your stuff follow you around and to be saved and to be assigned uh, without having to jump between uh, native apps all the time. Yeah, we're going to do a show on that, on IFTTT and um, Zapier. And I've been testing Zapier a lot and I'm sold. I'm going to pay for it. It's just... It's so much more powerful than IFTT. T. I was I was run out of T. <laughs> we all, we all do. <laughs> um. So so Federico, where's the future of all this stuff? I mean, we've talked a lot about what you're doing. Um. You know what's wrong with iOS, and and wh- where do you want to see it get better? There's a lot uh, I could talk about, but I I think I want to focus on on the iPad and productivity. Um. Especially because I feel like the the low-hanging fruit, if you will, now is mostly in the camp of working from iOS. Because when it comes to consumer stuff, sure, Apple could do more Apple Music, more video content, more, uh, you know, like a home kit and a health kit. But really, uh, power users, uh, that's where that's where Apple is kind of falling behind. So I feel like on iOS, we we absolutely need a better system for apps to talk to each other. That is not the share sheet. That is not the document providers. We need an actual framework for apps to be able to exchange data and files with these and with a secure system. And I feel like Apple will eventually, I don't want to say backtrack, uh, but I think we will see a finder on iOS in some form, a way to sort of an expansion of iCloud Drive maybe, 
but that lets you manage files in a centralized place. And it doesn't have to be like the finder on iOS in the sense of now you have multiple windows, now you don't know where your documents are coming from. It's basically building upon what Apple currently has, but with a better interface and with a system that, again, doesn't force you to jump between apps and to close what you're doing, to open something else and to go back. That's the biggest point that I would that I would like Apple to 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 fix in the future. And also, I feel like we're gonna get some, or we need to get, and we're going to, I think, some form of drag and drop between between iPad apps. Um, if you look at what Apple has been doing, there's some hints of that. For example, you can now drag and drop. Uh, web pages in Safari to open them on the other side, and even in the in the latest uh, remote app for uh, you know the, the the for the Apple TV, the iPad version has this drag and drop for the media controls. You can hold something, you can rearrange it on the screen, and so I feel like to be able once we get a better system for apps to communicate, it's only natural to imagine. Well, now I'm in two apps at the same time. I'm looking at a screen where there's one app on the side and another on the other side. And I have this photo that I want to bring into the other side. What do I do? Well, now you need to save it manually and go to the other app and say, well, I just saved this. Let me import it again. Wouldn't it be better if you could just hold the picture and drag it to the right and just drop it there? And I think we'll get that kind of framework. Um, you know, to be able to select text or a PDF document or an image, whatever, and just... Uh, switch between apps with multi-touch. I feel like Apple wants to get, wants to do drag and drop with a focus on multi-touch. And and I think it's going to be great. I sure hope so. And I hope they get better at, you know, handling multiple files. I I just feel like there's some real obvious fixes out there that, that should be fixed. You know, honestly, they should be fixed already. Uh, So hopefully, hopefully we'll get them. Uh, If you had one feature that you could, if you could whisper in Tim's ear right now and say there's one feature we need, what, what would it be? <laughs> That's a really good question. Um, I think I would love to see, and this is going to be some so obvious, but I, I would like to see Apple not abandon Workflow. And I would like to see Workflow 2.0 or Automator, whatever it's called, to empower people to personalize their computers. I almost, uh, it's it's kind of like HyperCard, maybe. I, I wish that Apple would take this opportunity with Workflow to imagine a, a system where people can personalize their computers and create these little mini apps, these little mini widgets and extensions to help them be faster, communicate easily with others. Because again, you know, Apple cannot make every single thing for everyone. And as a system where you can be creative, you can play around with stuff in a safe environment. And we're seeing Apple sort of do that with uh, with the Swift playgrounds, but it's not really meant for everyone. And so if I could talk to Tim Cook, I, I would say, please consider this, uh, this sort of uh, idea of letting people create their own little systems to work faster, to be more productive, and to save time. Yeah, give us some give us some flexibility. That's that's I think that's what iOS needs. I'd agree. Well, Federico, I think you do have Apple's ear because I know at least a few Apple executives read Mac stories. We we've seen them tweet <laughs> a few of your links before. Yeah, it's a, it's always a surprise every time. Um, 
and I, and I think some ideas uh, besides Twitter, some ideas do resonate. I think because I, I I've been trying to to engage a lot of with people to kind of listen to what people need. What the you know what's a what's the downside of working on iOS? And and I truly believe that like we're that we are in a different era of computing. Uh, and and I truly believe that the idea of having the screen that you carry around with you all the time and it does powerful, insane things. I mean, go back five years ago. It's insane what we can do with the iPhone and with the iPad now. I do believe in this idea of a screen that is with you all the time and it lets you be creative, it lets you be professional, it lets you save time, it lets you run a business or be an artist from anywhere. It's an amazing idea. And so I think a lot of these you know, discussions, they resonate with a lot of people because we all want to get there. In the end, if, even if you talk to diehard Mac user, right? Um, because people like to come up with these conflicts. I, I don't really believe in conflicts. I think... In the end, we all love computers, and and I think we all love the idea of technology that is always with us, that is convenient, that is light, that has a screen, and we like to touch things on a screen. And because in the end, we're all geeks and we love technology, and I think we're all working together towards the same goal, which is we want to be able to work faster and spend less time doing boring things like let me save a pdf and import it again in a different app and we just want to be creative and we want to spend time actually creating things whether it's a legal document or uh it's a blog post on mac stories or it's a drawing in pixel meter we all want to create and we all want technology to be less in our way and so i think we're all working together towards that goal uh, we're coming from different perspectives. You know, some people prefer Macs, others prefer iPads. But the end goal is the same, which is technology sh- and managing technology should be not in our way. We should just focus on the creative aspects because it's what humans are great at. And so I think we'll eventually get there. Yeah, I was I was talking to I was just talking to a guy. We had um, a conference Katie I went to in Chicago. It was the American Bar Association's tech show. It's like a technology conference for lawyers and there was some guy there with android who listens to our show or knows of me and he wanted to get in this argument about me about what's better android or iphone i said you're getting it wrong the enemy is not android or iphone the enemy is time you got to find what gets your work done so you can spend the rest of your time uh with your girlfriend or your friends or your family or you know doing something other than working (laughs) so uh, i think if people would figure that out we'd be uh, a lot further along in the road I do love the fact that you're the standard bearer of the iPad. And um, I love that you're out there pushing the boundaries. And and one thing I like today is you didn't tell us at any point, well, there's some things I just can't do on the iPad. I think you've probably figured out whatever it is you need to do. Uh, just just Skype, really. <laughs> That's the only problem. <laughs> Which is, in a lot of ways, an antiquated problem for all of us, no matter what platform we use. Yeah. Well, Federica, I know people can find you at Mac Stories, but... Tell us a little bit about Club Mac Stories before you go, because I know that's new since the last time you've been on the show. Oh, thank you. Sure. It's a, it's a subscription service for um, people who want more from Mac Stories. It's a collection of extras uh, that are, right now, they are delivered as uh, newsletters, e- email newsletters. Uh, so you sign up and it's $5 a month or uh, $50 a year, and you get this weekly newsletter so four newsletters a, uh, a month, plus an extra monthly one. It's kind of like a magazine-like format. And we talk about a lot of, a lot of advanced things we don't cover on Mac Stories, especially for working on iOS and automation workflow. But we also try to uh, 
uh, include interviews with interesting people uh, to feature the home screens of, of our, you know, people in the, in the Apple community. And we cover a lot of apps. So we do collections for like, what's the best apps for traveling abroad? Uh, so we do collections of apps and we cover app updates. We cover iMessage stickers. It's a lot of content every week. And uh, uh, it's a way to, I mean, it's not just a way to support us financially. Um, it's really a way to get some extras in return, to get some extra content. So more out of Mac stories. And we launched it uh, uh, more than a year and a half ago. It's been going quite well. It's been going really well, actually. And we're really, we're really happy with the response. I have so many plans to go beyond newsletters. But again, as David says, uh, time is always the enemy. <laughs> Amen, brother. Amen. Well, Federico, thank you so much for joining us. You can find more of Federico's work over at MacStories.net. Uh, you can find more of us over at MacPowerUsers.com. And you can also find us on Twitter. The show is at MacPowerUsers. I'm at Katie Floyd. David is at MacSparky. And Federico, what about you? Um, at Vitici on Twitter. That's V-I-T-I-C-C-I. And usually just come find me on MacStories and uh, Club MacStories, hopefully in your email client of choice every Friday. Sounds good. Thank you for joining us, and we'll see you all next time.